Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We all have different life situations, and we can't do everything. You're right. There's a finite number of hours. But what we can do is pick something that's meaningful to us. And for me, Boy Scouts is one of those. And then when, when you choose what's most important, then everything else kind of fits around that. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from our guest for this week's episode, Ben Samisky of PLS Advisory in Houston, Texas. Recently, we've had a few guests from larger institutions, so I figured it was time to return to a more entrepreneurial, small business guest in order to make sure we are balanced and really showcasing all the opportunities that exist in the accounting world. Ben is a CPA and started his career with one of the well-known accounting firms, but later on got interested in financial planning and now runs his own financial advisory practice. There were a few steps in between, but I'll leave it to Ben to share all of those in the interview itself. However, if you ever felt like you have an entrepreneurial streak yourself, or if you have a passion for volunteering in the community, you're really going to enjoy this episode. And one side note as you listen to this, if you prefer to listen online versus downloading through a podcast app, make sure you click on the subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner of the podcast page on our website, whereaccountantsgo.com. We want to make sure you're notified each week about the upcoming episode. Plus, you get a few additional insights about the guest's background themselves on those emails. Without further ado, let's get started. Here's Ben Samisky of Houston, Texas. Well, hello, Ben. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, I was looking for another guest with entrepreneurial background, because recently we've had more guests from larger entities, and I always like to make sure we're really balancing out all the opportunities that are available to accountants. And also, we we really haven't had anyone from the financial planning world in in quite a while. So you're really the the right guest at the right time for the show. So thank you very much. I definitely want to get into your present situation, but first, I like our audience to sort of get the details on your backstory as well, so they get an idea of where you came from. Let's walk through your career, sort of from the beginning until the present time. How did you decide to become an accountant in the first place? That's a good, good question, Mark. Uh, you know, originally I had started in electrical engineering. I, I grew up hmm. fairly proficient in math and, and enjoying that quite a bit. My dad was an engineer uh, his entire career, and, and, and I just thought that was a natural fit. So I went in my entire freshman year, I was an electrical engineering major, and uh, that, that ended up being a terrible fit. It just wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. 
sometimes say, I think some people are, of course, lactose intolerant. I think I'm physics intolerant. It just, those, those physics courses just weren't happening for me. So fortunately at the time, one of my freshman roommates um, was a guy named Kevin. He was a little, little older than me. He was in his junior year. I attended college at Brigham Young University. And BYU has, has for a long time had one of the top accounting programs, and Kevin was an accounting student. And so I got to see firsthand some of his experiences with one of my roommates being part of the program. And he was always having so much fun. He was always getting invited to cool networking events that were hosted by either a big four accounting firm or another firm. And he was getting, as a result, lots of job interviews. His job prospects were fantastic. And he always had very smart cute co-eds in his study groups. And so the combination, you know, for young, a young college kid, you know, having fun, great job prospects, cute co-eds, that, that, was, that seemed like a good mix to me. So because of Kevin's example, my second year, I started taking some of the introductory classes and it just fit like a glove. Anybody that's been to BYU knows Norm Nemro. He was the accounting 200 professor and he, he made everybody fall in love with accounting. But it wasn't just my accounting classes, statistics, economics, they all just really fit. And I felt at home in the accounting program. And so that's what made me join the accounting program. But I was never an accounting purist, I guess you could say. I never intended to make a career of audit or tax, but I loved, loved having the options that an accounting degree presented. And I've always said a career in accounting, I think, is the greatest choose-your-own-adventure ever created. And I wanted that adventure and I wanted that, the possibilities, the endless possibilities, because I didn't know yet where I wanted to end up, but I wanted to have the possibilities and the choices. So I switched majors and started the journey. And next thing I knew, I was an auditor at Deloitte. Hmm. You know, I'm curious, did you, because we're going to get to you know what you're doing now in the financial planning. Did you see financial planning as one of those options back then, or, or you just perceived that there were a whole lot of things you could do? I didn't necessarily see financial planning per se, but I did, because of my roommate relationship with, with Kevin, I did see firsthand some of the directions that his classmates were taking. I saw the, the variety of companies that were coming onto campus to interview the accounting students, hmm. and I started to, to network into some of the folks that were coming and, and discovered that they were all over the place. They weren't at all like the accountants image that I had in my mind growing up. And so I loved the variety and the options. And really, the other thing that drew me to accounting was that even though I didn't necessarily want to be a lifelong auditor or tax account or what have you, I really wanted to pursue my MBA. I ended up going a different direction ultimately. But in, in my college years, going into accounting and having that base, really the language of business, that's another thing that drew me into the accounting program. Just for the record, we've had 50-something guests so far, and you're the first one that said they became an accountant because it was a good way to get the girls. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe it was just at BYU, but man, they were, there were some cute girls in the accounting program, and all extremely smart, which I loved. So. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> so, so you started uh, your professional career at Deloitte in audit. How long did you stay with Deloitte? I was there three busy seasons, uh, so it was about okay. two and a half years all in that I was at Deloitte. Okay, okay. Did you have any particular specialty or anything like that? I was in audit uh, in the Chicago office. Most of my clients were manufacturing, although that changed a little bit towards the end, but 
So that was kind of my specialty at the time was manufacturing clients. Okay. Did you move on just because it wasn't quite the right fit for you or what caused you to, to make that decision after two and a half years? You know, it's a good point because while I love the possibilities of the accounting degree, Deloitte similarly had endless possibilities within the firm because of how, how big they are. And I love that. I loved my time at Deloitte. I had some really unique experiences, love the people I worked with. But ultimately what it came down to was I was really wanting to diversify my work experience. Again, I was still on, in my mind, the MBA track. I had taken the GMAT. I had done some campus visits to the programs that I wanted to go to. And really at some of those top elite MBA programs, they want to see kind of a diversity of, of work experience. So that was, that was really the impetus for, for looking elsewhere. The other thing I would say is that I, while I loved being at Deloitte, audit wasn't necessarily fulfilling what I, was, what I was hoping for in that I was able to identify problems for a company, but I really wanted to kind of go next level and help them solve those problems. And so ultimately, I moved to a consulting firm where I was able to do that. And finally, I would say one of the unique experiences I had at Deloitte was that was during the time of the Arthur Anderson Enron experiences. And when that happened, I was still in Chicago at the time, and Anderson's headquarters were in Chicago. And so when, when Anderson collapsed after the Enron investigation, that freed up, of course, all of their clients. And so they engaged a number of us junior staff members to help out with you know, the marketing, the pitching to all of these now prospects, prospective clients that were, that were out there. And because of that, really that struck a chord with me getting to be part of something that was non-technical, getting to be part of more of the marketing piece, going out and talking to prospective clients. And so that ended up fueling my desire to, to move in that direction as well. Okay. And you mentioned you didn't have your MBA at this point yet. Had you already sat for the exam? Had you already become a CPA at this point or did that come later? Right at the end of my time at Deloitte, I did. I sat and that was during the time when you had to take all four four parts. So I did take that just before leaving Deloitte, passed the exam, already had all the hours and, and everything. And so shortly after my time at Deloitte is when I officially became a CPA, but I took the exam while I was there at Deloitte. So you make a move to the consulting firm and I'm assuming that's Alex Partners, is that? Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. What was your specialty there? I guess, what kind of consulting did you guys do? Well, Alex Partners has a number of different areas within the firm. They're a global consulting firm, great place to work. My area specialty was more in litigation consulting with a piece of valuation and forensic accounting. So it was was a little bit of a mix in the group that I was part of. But having my CPA was actually having passed the exam and and being in the process of, of being certified. That was a determining factor in me being hired for that job. So again, I've point back to the decision to, to go the accounting route is what led me, of course, to Deloitte, but then also to Alex Partners. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big believer in certifications and <laughs> I always like it when the guests point out how it benefited them because it's certainly a sacrifice to get it in the first place. For sure. So you were at Alex Partners for a little while and then I guess, did you get your, your entree into financial advising through that, or did that come later? Well, I guess you could say, you know, a backdoor experience at, at Alex is what gave me the entree into financial planning. You know, much like being at Deloitte or, or really any firm when you're part of an engagement team, some of what you do 
when you're sitting around a table with that team is, is not just, of course, talk about work, but also talk about, you know, personal things or, you know, sports or weather or what have you. And, and a lot of what would come up tended to be, you know, Hey, what are you doing in your 401k or, or somebody just had a kid, you know, when do I, when do I need to start saving for, you know, putting money in a 529 for college, things along those lines, just really ad hoc, you know, one-off type questions. But what I found is over time, I really liked finding the answers and exploring some of those topics. And for years, I had done just my own personal investing in my 401k and, and things along those lines. And so people started to gravitate towards me a little bit just because they knew that I was excited about it and passionate about it. So they started directing more of those questions to me within, within my little engagement team and the people that I associated with. And over time, I, you know, just started to become more apparent that I really loved doing that. I liked what I did in my current job, but I really loved doing the, the financial planning type topics. And so that took me in another direction. Okay. What led to you deciding to take the huge leap to go out on your own and, and start your own practice? That's a good question. After Alex Partners, I ended up making the move really into financial planning, financial advisory services, and moving from Chicago down to Houston, where I am now. And so that was the original move, is that I moved to working for a company within the financial planning space and and being in their financial planning department and cutting my teeth a little bit there. That's where I earned my CFP, Certified Financial Planner, license. And so I added that to the CPAP to really have, have both of those under my belt. And so I spent some time there for a couple of years and then took the leap to start my own business. But, but starting my own business, you know, that was something that I always wanted to do. I always had an entrepreneurial streak. I always wanted to start a business from, from the ground up. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, even as a kid, I was always looking for those. I was the guy that was always, you know, the lemonade stand, selling the lemonade. Or I always I had a newspaper route for years. And it was kind of like running my own little little business there in the neighborhood. So that was something that I just always had an interest in. And so that, that fueled my desire to, to start my own business ultimately. Okay. Interesting. Uh, for the record, I had a popsicle stand. I, we, <laughs> we lived in South Texas and there were some hot days. <laughs> Very hot. Very hot. <laughs> So did you literally start from the ground up, zero business, or did, did you come in and mentor under somebody and take over their business, or how, how did that work? No, I did. I, I really started from, from zero. Wow. I had a couple of, you know, having moved to Houston a few years prior, I had started to, to build out my professional network and connections here in the Houston area. And so I had some groundwork from that standpoint, but it was really starting from scratch. So fortunately, again, the, the prior couple of years, I had been at a firm that had given me a lot of opportunities to, to have mentors and to learn the business on, on a much different scale, but to, to learn the business and to, to figure out what a financial planner does and, and how they interact with clients. And so I used a lot of that knowledge and experience in starting my firm, but it was, it was a tough beginning starting from scratch. That, that's very true. You know, and you'd only been in Houston for a little while. I could be wrong. I always thought that financial advising was very much a relationship-oriented business, and it helps to have a whole lot of contacts. And what were those first few years like? They were tough. They were tough. Now, I will say that I, 
as a kid, I grew up not far from Houston. It's about an hour oh. south, right on, right on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico. And so, you know, I wasn't a stranger necessarily to Southeast Texas, but it had been a number of years. I had been gone from this area for, for quite some time. And so coming back, I was able to renew some of those relationships. But as a professional, it's, it's a whole, you know, networking as a professional is much different, of course, than growing up and going to high school in the area and things like that. So uh, I did, I wasn't starting entirely from scratch from a, a relationship standpoint, but it was in a much different arena. And, uh, and of course, being a business owner and trying to handle all of those demands at the same time, it was a challenge for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I figured that's, yeah, the first few years starting from zero, that's... That's a lot of work. How long have you had your business now? That was 2009 when I formed my business. So a little over eight years now. Okay. Wonderful. What has sort of surprised you along the way that maybe you didn't realize when you started? <laughs> That's a good question. I think there are a lot of surprises. And I think I think we've all found that as, as professionals, that there's a lot of lessons that we learn you can't get from a book or a college class or an online course. And one of the things that, that stuck out to me was I'd always heard a phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. But I think a corollary to that is really scarcity breeds innovation and scarcity breeds creativity. And so what what surprised me early on was that I thought I was going to need a lot more funding, a lot more money to really get off the ground. And so I I, I went out and, and raised some of that capital to do that. And ultimately what I discovered that surprised me was that you really don't need a lot of capital to start. And I think, in fact, the less capital that you have, that really almost drives some interesting innovation and creativity within your business. So if I could go back, I would actually change how much I raised and had to start only to drive some of that creativity sooner. And I think we're blessed to live in an age where technology only amplifies what we can do There are a lot of free solutions. There are a lot of inexpensive solutions. You can work remotely. You can do things that you couldn't do 10, 20, 30 years ago. So that surprised me. I really thought that I was going to be dependent on how much capital I had for the business when really it was more about innovation, creativity, and you can do a lot with with very little really to start. Hmm. I guess when you're hungry, you work harder. Is that? I think so. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Wait, what does PLS stand for, by the way? Is there a, a meaning behind the abbreviation? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a little bit of a double meaning. One is, for for me, this goes way back to when I was a Boy Scout as, as a kid. I had a very distinctive experience that ended up years later fueling my interest as well in financial planning. But that, that experience tied into my father and the challenge that he had given me as a 13-year-old. PLS, those are his initials. And so it's a little bit of an homage to him. And then it also ties in with the philosophy that I espouse with clients being plan well, live well, serve well. So that's where you get the P, the L, and the S, plan well, live well, serve well. And so it kind of has a double meaning to me. And so every time I say that, it helps me reflect on my philosophy, but it also is a little bit of an homage to my father. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us about your business now. Do you have employees? Do you have a particular specialty in your field? Yeah, so I, I really, everything that I do centers around financial planning. A lot of people in the in this industry 
over time have, you know, it's tied into a lot of the salespeople. And so a lot of people sell piecemeal solutions, if you will. So there's insurance folks and there's estate planning and tax and all the different pieces that make up financial planning. But I really choose to focus on the holistic financial planning experience and try to talk about those things with my clients. And so that's, that's one thing I think that I use to distinguish myself from, from others is, is focusing on holistic financial planning. And of course, as a CPA, I can bring a little bit more of the tax planning than maybe the average financial planning professional. So I don't have any employees. I, I still work independently. And I think that's a great part of my business. And what we can do with technology is that you can outsource certain things. You can really scale and compete with much larger companies without having to add a lot of employees. And, and you see that in a lot of different areas in the accounting profession. You can do a lot with, with just a few people. And I think that's a great advantage to, to our profession. Sure. You know, I should have asked this earlier. And when I put it online, people may be curious that, that aren't that familiar with the financial advisory world. What's involved with getting the, the PFS designation? And is the word designation even describing it appropriately? What, what is that exactly? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. PFS is very similar to a lot, a lot of people are familiar now with, with other endeavors that the AICPA has, has undertaken with the CGMA, for example, uh-huh. and they have a few other designations that they've rolled out over the years, and PFS is one of them. So it's administered through the AICPA. There are requirements, much like having a CGMA or CPA, as far as education and experience and, and exam and, and fees and things like that. And so I, I decided to, to get the PFS really to, you know, it doesn't have the, the brand recognition in, around the country that the CFP does and certainly that the CPA has, but it does allow me to tap into resources that the AICPA provides. And, and I found a lot of benefits just in that piece alone. The, the AICPA has, has quite a few resources that they open up to PFS holders. So it's, it's allowed me to tap into that. And again, try to do more with, with less. I'm, of course, I'm a small fish in a big pond with uh, just a single one-person firm, but the resources that AICPA provides, that CSCPA provides, the Houston CPA Society, all of those organizations allow us to do so much more with so much less, and, and that's been a great blessing in my career for sure. Good deal. Good deal. You know, actually, you're transitioning into a, a topic I wanted to ask you about because I know with my own involvement with the Texas Society of CPAs, I've I've heard your name <laughs> several times. I know you've served on at least a committee or two. How did you get started volunteering with TSCPA, and what keeps you doing it? What do you enjoy about it? Yeah, great questions, Mark. So originally, as I mentioned, I moved from, this was in 2006, I moved from Chicago to Houston. And while I had grown up in the area, I didn't have the professional network. And so when I originally moved, it was all about professional networking. And I wanted to interact with with people around the city, other CPAs, other financial planning professionals. And so, I mean, literally the, the first week that I moved from Chicago to Houston and started working, I was interested in joining the Personal Financial Planning Committee at the Houston CPA Society. And to do that, of course, you had to be a member of uh, the Houston CPA Society and the Texas Society of CPAs. And so I joined the TSCPA that first week, September of 2006, and joined the same time, of course, the Houston CPA Society and joined the the committee. And I've been part of that committee ever since and done a handful of other things 
with the TSCPA. But, you know, really what it comes down to ultimately now, you know, I don't have maybe the same professional networking needs that I had when I first moved here. But I decided early on that it was important to me to be part of organizations and causes that are meaningful to the most important areas of my life. And so for me, number one is my faith. And so I've always tried to be involved in my church and other faith-based initiatives around, around town and teaching Sunday school and helping with those type of things. My family is next most important. So I've always tried to be involved with the local PTA at the school and coaching youth sports and things along those lines. My country uh, is next. And so I've, I've tried to do things like being involved in Boy Scouts and helping to, to raise young people that are passionate about doing their duty to their country and my profession. So being involved in my profession and being involved in organizations that are meaningful to my profession is very important to me. And so right at the top of that list, you've got the TSCPA. You have the Houston CPA Society. For me as a financial planner, I have the Financial Planning Association, the AICPA. Those type of organizations, I think, it's important for me to be part of, to give back. I feel like I've received so much from the profession, and so giving back is important to me. And then beyond the profession, I think being involved in organizations that help grow and develop humanity, whether that's disaster recovery that we've been experiencing here in Houston, or for me, men's health issues, seeing my dad deal with, with cancer and, and other issues. Suicide prevention is important to me as well because of some experiences with some, with some friends and family over the years. And so I think whatever the cause is, I think it's important that we each find something that's meaningful to us because we have such a great capacity for impacting other people that it's important to be involved in something that's meaningful to us. And so for me, that included TSCPA and the Houston CPA Society. Hmm. Now, I, I don't know if this would surprise people from outside the profession or not, but CPAs, accountants in general, actually accounting professionals in general, are in general very generous, you know, with their time and, well, with time they devote to the community. I find this to be a recurring theme throughout many of the podcasts that we do. So thank you. I, I really appreciate you, you highlighting that because I, I agree. I think it's very important to continue to give back, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. So <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. I think that's very important. I'm just curious because you're the first guest to mention the Boy Scouts. Are you still involved with the Boy Scouts? Or if not, how long were you involved and, and sort of what did you do? I am. I am still involved. I currently, I'm the Weeblow's Den leader. And what that means is that I teach the, the 10-year-old boys as they're in their final year of Cub Scouts when they turn 11 and they join the Boy Scouts. And so it's, it's a fun age. They're still excited about everything. And we have a lot of a lot of good times together, but they're learning important things. You know, it's really a time in your life when you're 10. Of course, you're, you're now getting close to starting junior high and going through all of the experiences that we went through as young adolescents. So it's a, it's a fun time to be engaged with them, but it's also a meaningful time where you really get to have a significant impact on, on how they view the world, the experiences that they have. So I had those experiences as a kid. And I want them to have those same experiences. For people that immediately are thinking, that sounds wonderful. I don't have the time. I'm just curious, how much of a time commitment is it to, to volunteer at that level? Within the Boy Scouts or just in yeah. general? I'm sorry, within the Boy Scouts, with Weeblos. Yeah. Say, to be a den leader, you know, that kind of position. Sure. 
Well, for Weeblos, we, we have a one-hour den meeting each week. And then once a month, we have a pack meeting that takes the place of our den meeting. So it's really one hour a week with a little bit of prep time, but it's huh. a really small commitment. And you can jump in anywhere you want. So you don't necessarily have to be a den leader, much like in a professional organization, you don't necessarily have to be a committee chair, right? Or even a committee member, but there are opportunities along the way to help out. And so, for example, we may be taking a field trip to the, the local fire department to learn what first responders do. And we may need a driver or we may need another parent to come along with us. And so there are opportunities like that to get involved all throughout the community, not just in Boy Scouts. But I, I think that's really what's important, Mark, is that we're, we all have different life situations and we can't do everything. You're right. There's a finite number of hours. But what we can do is pick something that's meaningful to us. And for me, Boy Scouts is one of those. And then when, when you choose what's most important, then everything else kind of fits around that. And so I've made a decision of where I want to be involved. And then everything else in my life fits accordingly. And so for me, that's one hour a week with the Weeblos. But for someone else, it, it could be something else. There you go. It's like the example of you know, how do you put the... The rocks, the gravel, and the sand in the jar. You know, you put the put what's important in there first. The larger items, and then fit everything else around it. Yeah, that makes makes a Absolutely. lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you. I know you mentioned you know Deborah Seafeld there in Houston. I don't know if you saw this episode, but we interviewed Joey Tackett, who is in the Houston area with Deloitte, and he goes into a lot about giving back to the profession and your community. And if you have time, <laughs> if you have time, you may really enjoy that episode. <laughs> well, yeah, I, don't, I haven't heard that episode, but I can speak again just from my time at Deloitte. Deloitte and, and really all the big four, and not just big four, but the accounting profession in general, like you mentioned, Mark, is so giving. It's so, that's really, when I was at Deloitte in Chicago, they had this huge event all the big four are involved with. It's called Chicago Cares. And it's beyond big four, but but they are huge supporters of the Chicago Cares, where it's an entire day where companies all over the Chicago area meet up and go out and just do community service. And so you're involved with people from other companies and other industries. And it's just going out and serving, just helping. And so I'm sure he has some great experiences that he shared in your interview. And we're, we're just part of a, a great profession that gives back. And I think we've got to take advantage of that and enjoy what we have and, and help out where we can. There you go. Before, I, I know I got off the topic a little bit, but for those people that may be thinking about becoming self-employed, particularly in the financial advising area, is there any advice you would have for them? Oh, I love, I love that may be a whole separate podcast, Mark. I love being an <laughs> entrepreneur. I, I, we could speak a lot about benefits of, of owning your own business and, and some of the pitfalls and pros and cons. But, you know, one of the things that I've just enjoyed the most is flexibility. And that sort of ties into the community service aspect that we were just talking about. I think being a business owner inherently, you've, you've got some additional flexibility, but it's really amplified by some of the developments in technology. We can do so much, as I mentioned earlier, with, with, with less now. But flexibility isn't infinite. And so a lot of people, because of my involvement with the PTA and the Boy Scouts, I think a lot of people that I know in my community feel like I'm almost more of a stay-at-home dad or I've got this unlimited supply of flexible time. And that's, that's not the case because I'm still a business owner with a fiduciary duty to my clients with responsibilities the organizations are part of. But for anyone looking to start their business, 
I would reiterate what I said earlier about you don't need a lot of capital for the business side to start. Of course, you need money to pay your expenses at home, keep the lights on and, and put food on the table. But capital for the business, you don't need a lot. Scarcity really does breed innovation and creativity. But really use the flexibility that you have as a business owner to to do good in the profession, to do good in your community, and of course, first and foremost, to do good within your family. And I think when you use that gift of flexibility, you'll, you'll be blessed for it. There you go. Well, this question came from one of our actually previous guests and frequent audience members. If you could go back and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? Boy, just one, huh? I think we would all <laughs> we would all have a laundry list that we would give. You know, I would say to really embrace the unexpected, the unpredictable. And I think you know, there's lots of ways to say that same concept, but but the feeling there is the same. As a planner, that's what I do as a profession. But I'm also a planner by nature, and so I like to plan things, and I like them. I like to know what's going to happen. But I'm also a big advocate of living. I mean, that's, as I said earlier, that's PLS. It's plan well, live well, and serve well. So I'm a big fan of having experiences. I want my kids more than, more than gifts at Christmas. I I like having experiences rather than, than things. And so I think by its very nature, living life, if you're going to do that, it's unpredictable and you're going to have a lot of unexpected experiences. And so I would tell my younger self, you just got to embrace that. So you can plan, and I think you should plan and prepare, but you should also embrace the the unexpected and enjoy it, enjoy the journey, and enjoy life. There you go. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions because I I feel like it gives some consistency across the episodes. First one's usually the easiest. What has been your proudest moment? That's a good question. I guess in my own mind, I would separate that into to two categories, and I'm not sure where you intended to ask it, but I would say personally, uh-huh. it's less about a specific moment and really just more about seeing I'm a single dad and I've got two, two boys, they're ages 11 and 13. And so for me, the proudest moment, if you will, is just seeing the kind of human beings that they're becoming really despite a lot of challenges that, that they've had to face and a lot of experiences that they've had as, as young kids that I didn't have to deal with growing up. And to see them handle that with such grace and such kindness is really makes me as a father quite proud. And then professionally, I would say it's really probably the moment that I created my, my firm, 2009. That was a challenging year for me personally and professionally. And there were a lot of things going on, of course, in the financial markets. And here in the Houston area, we had just dealt with Hurricane Ike at the end of 2008. And there were, there were a lot of things going on. But that experience of creating something, I think as human beings, we, we want to create. We have this innate desire to create. And so we create families and we have children. And if you're more creative, you may create art. And, you, and there's all kinds of things that we create. But for me, creating a firm and starting something from scratch was really uh, something that, that I'm quite proud of and, and that having that experience of creation. Hmm. Yeah, it really is a, a major achievement, and the fact that it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plus. That's a plus for sure. <laughs> 
you know, there's different statistics on businesses that, you know, succeed or fail, you know, first year, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I remember after I passed the first year, I thought, you know, I made it. But then I read the statistics for how many businesses fail in, you know, two, three, four, and five years. I thought, oh, well, gosh, <laughs> I've got a long way to go. <laughs> Still more work to do, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about a mistake you've made and, and what you learned from it, of course. But, but frankly, the bigger, the better. <laughs> wow. Put me on the spot, don't you? you know, my view, Mark, of, of mistakes has really it's changed a lot over the years. I, I tend to view them now more as, as just steps in the process rather than than big stumbling blocks, I guess. And so, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to define something as a mistake, but I will share an experience that, that I had in moving from Chicago to Houston. The firm that I ended up joining when I came to Houston I was very excited about it at the time, but when I was going through the interviewing process while I was in Chicago, of course, they asked for references and referrals, and one of the people that, that I had listed was a good friend of mine, and at the time, he was my pastor in my church in, in Chicago, and so he had a call with them. They called to check the, the reference. This was in the summer of 2006, and I, very, I remember very distinctly the experience of talking to him after he had that call. And he just said, he gave him a weird feeling. There was just something off with the call. And, you know, at the time, I was very excited about joining the firm. Emotionally, we had already made the decision of moving from Chicago to, to Houston, and, and we're quite excited about that. And so I really kind of brushed that off. And you fast forward a couple of years after moving in 2006 and accepting that job, February 17th, 2009 was a date that, that I'll never forget. And on that day, I was, along with everybody in the Houston office, I was escorted from my office by armed U.S. Marshals as they came in and shut down the firm. And, and a few years later, in, in 2012, the CEO of that firm was convicted on 13 counts of fraud and conspiracy and obstruction of justice and is, is serving a 110-year sentence in prison because of some actions that he had taken with the firm. And so while I wasn't involved in any of that, of course, having that experience was shocking. And it was something that, uh, of course, shook everything in my life in, in 2009, as I alluded to a little bit earlier. But I thought back to that experience, that one, I mean, it was literally 15 seconds of a phone call where my good friend and pastor had told me, ah, just something didn't feel right on that, on that call. And I wasn't in tune enough with, with my gut at that time, I guess, that I didn't pick up on that. And so what could have been different if I had listened to him and maybe avoided having that experience? Again, looking back, I'm, I'm not so big on defining mistakes as I am just seeing them as steps in the process. And so I still had a great experience during my time there. I met a lot of fantastic people. It helped propel me to where I am now. And so I don't regret it as a, as a mistake per se, but boy, I think we need to, we have to be in tune with not just our gut, with the advice that we might receive from people that are close to us. You know, life turns on some pretty small hinges. And so a decision like that impacted me for a, for a lot of years to come. And so that was, that was something that I look back on and think life would have been a lot different for good and for bad. So that's something that I reflect on a lot. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you're going with that reference call at first. I thought you were just going to tell me that 
you didn't, you know, prepare the pastor, your friend, for the reference, and it didn't go well or something. I wasn't sure where that uh, where that was going. But you're right. I've had that happen in my own life a few times where you just have a funny feeling and you move ahead anyway, but you realize you should have stopped at that point. So, yeah. although I guess, would you have started your firm had that not all happened? Well, I don't think so. I mean, that's really a little bit of the irony of that experience is that while it was, it was traumatic and, and painful in a lot of ways, it got me to where I am now because if I had not come down and taken that job, you know, I was still at Alex Partners. I wasn't even in the industry. So I wouldn't have had that experience. I wouldn't have had a firm to work at where I was able to earn my CFP and do my professional networking in Houston and really lay the groundwork for what became my firm in 2009. Wow. That in and of itself should be a whole nother podcast episode, Ben. <laughs> we could have a separate <laughs> podcast. A lot of experiences there. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the final question, and then we'll say goodbye. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? That's such a good question. There's so many wonderful people that have, have given me advice over the years. It's something that, that's always been meaningful to me, and I alluded to it earlier in our conversation, was, was my faith is at the core of who I am. And so the best advice for me comes from a verse in the Bible that's especially important to me, and it, it just it's in the book of Proverbs, and it just simply says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And I bring that up because, I mean, it speaks so much about faith to me, but even if you're not religious or spiritual, I think there's something really powerful in that advice in that it speaks to trust and trusting the people around us, our family members, our spouse, significant other, our children, parents, all those relationships that are most important to us, they're built on trust. And so if you don't have trust, you really don't have a, a meaningful relationship. And then it also, that verse, those verses speak to me about gratitude. In the verse, it says acknowledging him and everything, meaning Jesus Christ, but it could be acknowledging the people around us. Or, for example, you know, when we acknowledge that we've received so much from the profession, that we then in turn give back to the profession. Or we've received so much from our community, so we give back to our community. And so, for me, that's the best advice. It's all about faith, trust, and gratitude. And when we remember those things, to your analogy earlier, when you put the rocks into the jar first, the sand all fits around it. So when we have the most important things in our life right, when we have the foundation right, everything else will fit and work, and it all works out in the end. There you go. You know, that's another theme that's come up several times, and I appreciate you bringing it up again, gratitude, because I, I really do feel like that makes for fulfilling career and just a, a more fulfilling life if you have an attitude an attitude of gratitude. I didn't intend that, but an attitude of gratitude. It really, it really does make a difference. Well, thank you so much. I knew we were going to have a good conversation about entrepreneurship, but I, I hadn't counted on all the, the insight about you know volunteering and just the, the career advice overall. This has been really good. Very good, Ben. I, I learned a few things too about financial planning. So <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> Well, thanks for the questions, Mark. It was great to be with you. No problem. Well, I hope to, to see you again in person sometime. You have a great week. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Well, that was Ben Samiski of PLS Advisory in Houston, Texas. 
In addition to the background Ben shared regarding opening his advisory practice and some of the hurdles encountered in the first few years, I really appreciated the discussion near the end on the topic of giving back to your community. You could tell that that type of effort is very important to Ben, and it sounds like he's arranged his life in order to be able to make that service a priority. It's really a wonderful thing. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Please do remember to share the podcast and our home website, whereaccountantsgo.com with a friend. We continue to grow each and every week, but we could not do it without wonderful listeners such as yourself. Also, I wanted to thank everyone that regularly, you know, quote unquote, likes our post on Facebook and, and LinkedIn for the Where Accountants Go pages. I see those names frequently and, and I really appreciate it. Gustavo, Brian, Sarah, Jim, Josh, many others that have helped spread the word about the podcast. Thank you so much. Every little bit helps. Well, until next week, I wish you the best. We'll be back soon. There's more to come.